Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The first time I really remember taking notice of my guest on this week's show, he was stealing every scene he could from Seth Rogen. You were the only one of our friends that has a house and a kid. Yeah. It's like you're like 10 years older than everyone, you know? You're divorced. The point is, it's Jimmy time. You know what I mean? And the girls, when you're dating, yeah. holy shit. See, we missed out on the whole kind of sex tech bubble. You know what I mean? Now they got sex book and fuck friends. And there's this thing called Grinder, which is just your phone beeps when there's someone horny near you. It's kind of amazing. So mostly guys, but I'm, I'm going to find a girl pretty soon. <laughs> This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Ike Barinholtz from his breakthrough movie performance in Neighbors. In the nine years since that movie was released, Ike has become a dominant force in the comedy world. From early roles in TV shows like Eastbound and Down, The Mindy Project, and then The After Party, to bigger and bigger film projects like Sisters opposite Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and Blockers with John Cena and Leslie Mann. Now, the former Mad TV cast member is returning to his sketch comedy roots with History of the World Part 2, which is premiering as a four-night event all this week on Hulu. Along with his collaborators Nick Kroll and Wanda Sykes, Ike is picking up where Mel Brooks left off in 1981's History of the World Part 1 to create an incredibly elaborate and frequently hilarious take on the most important events in history through the type of broad parody that has mostly fallen out of fashion in modern pop culture. It's a big bet that the lifelong comedy fan just could not say no to when it came his way a few years ago. I had so much fun talking to Ike about this project, what he's learned from working with Mel Brooks, and so many other incredible stories from his comedy career. So here's me with Ike Barinholtz. I see you uh, have your celebrity Jeopardy trophy, you know, subtly displayed in the background there. Uh, oh, this this right here. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, just to remind people, uh, if you get in an argument with me, uh, I'm probably right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm going to move it. Uh, I'm going to move it um, somewhere less um, auspicious. And, yeah, that's uh, the plan. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't need everyone seeing it at who you'd see on Zoom. I'll put it with all my other trophies, you know, and awards. I haven't won an award or a trophy since 1988, <laughs> well, but I keep was... them all. I have them all right there. I can see them right there on my, my, my mantle again, like a baseball trophy, bowling trophy. Um, those those are important. Award. Yeah. The Oscars, Emmys, who needs them? Oh, I don't worry about that stuff. I care about awards, but only awards that I have won. Right. Yeah. That makes so sense. It's, it's limited. It's a small list, but it's great. And I look at it every day and I draw inspiration. If you ever Ramped do win one of those awards, then then you'll care about them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's my that's my promise to you <laughs> and to everyone. 
Um, well, it's good to see you. Uh, I was uh, remembering we we talked, I think, about five years or so ago uh, around around the oath. Um, since then, you've been on two other Daily Beast podcasts, our our political <laughs> podcast, The New Abnormal and Fever Dreams, and yet you have not been on this one yet. So it's about time, really. Back. I'm always a beast boy. Yeah. Beast boy. That's what we call you over here. Beast boy for life. It's not <laughs> what my tattoo says. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's nice that you got that. Show support. Yeah. I want to show support for a media organization that I read. That's what I do. That's what I do. And speaking of awards, um, you know, I feel like we have to, we have to start by talking about um, one of, one of the world's few EGOTs, Mel Brooks, who, uh, who you uh, are getting to work with now on this show, history of the world part two. Um, Let's just go, you know, all the way back. How in the world did this happen? Like most good things, it started with a phone call from Nick Kroll. And I had been friends with Nick for, for a long time. And uh, he had reached out to me and said, hey, I know, you know, I don't know what you and your partner, Dave Stassen, uh, are up to right now. But I, I'm trying to get History of the World Part 2 going. And like, I almost didn't hear anything else he said because I was like, oh, I'm going to do this now. He's a huge, huge fan of the movie, obviously, and of everything Mel has done. And just he is, he is the, the goat. He is the goat. And so I, I right away was just like, yeah, 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 this, this, I'm in. And I'm also, incidentally, a huge history buff. Yeah, it's like the one subject. They always did okay, and it's every podcast I listen to, except for Daily Beast ones, it's about history. I was, I was obsessed with it. I, I don't think you can print future, but you can definitely try to look at the past and make sense of what's happening now. And so, anyways, all that to say, I was the idea of being able to uh, jump around pretty much anywhere um, and and do bits uh, was the, the uh, it was very tempting. And so, yeah, we jumped right in. If my math is right, uh, History of the World Part 1 came out when you were about three or four years old. I'm going to guess that you didn't see it uh, at that age. Um, what, what was the uh, – maybe I'm wrong. What was the, what was the first Mel Brooks movie that you remember really connecting to? Well, the first one I really remember seeing was Blazing Saddles. Um, my, dad, my dad had seen that movie opening night in, in Evanston, Illinois. And so I remember, you know, I remember back in the day you would, you, we weren't very rich, but every once in a while my dad would rent a VHS player, you know, and, and, and he would always bring home a few movies. And I remember the first time I saw Blazing Saddles, way, way too young to watch it. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, like uh, pretty much everyone, it was the first, Probably one of the first times I remember watching something and laughing as hard as I possibly could, even though I probably didn't even understand half of it. It was just funny. I don't know yeah. why. Just you could just, you just knew. You just knew. So my dad saw that I liked it, so then he started showing me, you know, producers, Young know, Frankenstein, and then I remember when he showed me History of the World. That that for a while kind of was my favorite. Although Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles is just such a great story. I love a good story, and it's such a great classic Hollywood story. And, um, but, uh, history of the world, again, even at a young age with an interest in history to see, like, that was the first, only way you could really see what the Roman Senate might've looked like. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and things like that. So I just, I loved it so much. I've seen the movie, I don't know, a hundred times. Um, and, and so, and we really did use it 
when we were kind of conceiving the show and breaking the show, we really just kept going back to the movie as our North Star. Structurally, the way it kind of lays out where you have a couple very long, longer sequences, uh, you know, French Revolution realm, and then just quick hits and a couple things in between. Uh, we just kind of felt like if we could emulate that on the freeze, where we have a couple stories that you're are bigger in scope, but you're following them over multiple sketches and, and then give you just real fast one-offs and just kind of keep people, you know, keep the energy going. So we, yeah, we, the, the show is the, is the movie in a sense. Um, I think if you like the movie, I think you will show it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely, it's an updated version of it. Um, and it's, you know, so many years later, it does feel like it's this huge responsibility always when you're sort of brought in to revive something or or bring something back in this way. Um, and, and Mel Brooks, you know, is, a, as you said, is the goat, he's classic, but his style is not what we're used to anymore, I think, in, in a lot of ways. So how did you think about that as sort of updating the parody for now um, and, and taking, you know, sort of staying true to his vision, but also trying to, you know, make it your own or make it something that audiences now could really connect with? It's a great question. You know, uh, I think this, the themes of Mel still ring very true today. I think Mel, throughout his movies, makes fun of the people in power, kind of mocks them, you know, kind of protagonists are oftentimes like the everyman, you know what I mean? Um and I, I also think, you know, uh, tonally, he was the first R-rated movie comedian writer, whatever you want to call it. And so I think right now, if you're doing anything pretty much R-rated, you got a direct line to Mel in there. But in terms of, like, some of the jokes, and, and there is a broadness to Mel that, you know, you don't quite see these days. And so we knew that that it is something that people aren't used to. We can't really do Mel unless you do that kind of big, you know, all-encompassing broad tone. And it was incredibly freeing and fun. You don't have to worry about, you know, trying to look cool. You know what I mean? It's just like we told – we always would tell people. We had so many actors come on. Yeah, unbelievable. And we said, you don't want to be the one person caught playing small in the show. You know what I mean? Like you got to come and you got to play big like – Madeline Kahn or Gene Wilder or Gregory Hines. You got to really come and, and uh, put it all out there. And I, I, I think uh, everyone really came and adhered to that. So all this to say, uh, I, 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 I hope people will like it. I, I'm sure there will be some people who will be like, this is not the kind of comedy I'm used to seeing. Um, but uh, I, I, it's the kind of comedy I still like to see. Like I still like laugh uncontrollably when I watch Mobbrook's movies, when I watch like the naked gun. Um, you know, I, I I love that stuff. If I watch Airplane still it's hilarious. So I think that uh I think it's time it came back. Because the world is so ridiculous and crazy that you have to, I think, kind of match that energy a little bit. In 33 AD, Jesus and his apostles were the hottest group in Jerusalem. But with the Romans looking to arrest Jesus, the group got together to record what would be his final sermon. Here we go. These are the last supper sessions. Go, baby. Here we go. Here we are. Hello, hello, hello. It's another feast and loathe. 
Another beautiful morning, another camera morning. Peace be with you, lads. Oh, we had a rough one last night. Mm. A little bit too much of the myrrh. You can overdo it on the myrrh. We do hear Mel's voice and sort of see him in the beginning. Um, and uh, and so it's, uh, that's, it's really great to have his presence there. How involved was he in this process? Because, you know, he's he's on the one hand uh, getting up there in age, obviously, but is so sharp, um, you know, whenever you see him speak or when I've gotten the chance to, to talk with him a little bit. Um, he's just amazing. Uh, so what was it like to to get some of that collaboration in with him? It was surreal. Um, you know, when Nick kind of talked to us and me, Dave and Nick and Wanda Sykes all talked and we kind of talked about what we you know, thought the show could and should be. Nick was like, okay, let's get, you know, let's call Mel. Let's get on the phone with Mel and talk to Mel and make sure he approves of you guys. And, stuff. <laughs> and you're like, uh, which was, yeah. oh my God. I was like, can you imagine if like the feedback was like, Mel just didn't like you. Yeah. <laughs> We're I going would, forward would, with the project, but not oh with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I would just like move to like Antarctica and just like work <laughs> at one of those research stations and get eaten alive by the thing. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the first time, from the first time I met him, he was, he was incredibly warm. He's, he was very excited that this thing that he made 42 years ago was now coming back and, 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 and I think when we first started pitching him, what we kind of thought we wanted the big stories to be, he kept, he just kept getting more excited and, and he was very honest. Mel was very honest. I thought with, you know, if there was something he didn't love, he'd go, eh. but <laughs> if you got him, if you got a laugh, that was a real, you know, you kind of held that, held on to that all week. You know, if one of your kids got mad at you, you could be like, "Yeah, well, Mel Brooks thinks I'm funny." So. Um, <laughs> but were there, yeah, any, was, were there yeah. any of the uh, the idea, the sketch ideas, or something that he really uh, connected with that you remember him really latching onto? Uh, I mean, I just I remember just his instantly adding on to what we were pitching him. Like I remember when we first said, "Hey, we want to do a Civil War thing," because that was my first thing I wanted to do a Civil War. I love reading about it, and I was like, "I love it. I want to play with." So we're saying we want to do a Civil War story and, and, you know, a bunch of these sketches. And the last one maybe is Appomattox. And he goes, great, great. And Appomattox have when Robert E. Lee bends over to sign the treaty and he turns, his sword hits every one of the balls. <laughs> and you're just <laughs> – and it's just like – it's so uh, – it's just – yeah, it's, it's so Mel Brooks. It's surreal to have that. It's so Mel Brooks and that's in the show. Um, so, you know, he would check in with us, you know, every week or every other week or, or so. And, and, uh, Kevin Salter, who works with him and Aaron runs Brooks Films, but Shelby Van Fleet were incredibly supportive. And whenever we had to run something past him, we would be very available. He would be very available to us, which was, again, just insane. I didn't want to bother him, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he was so great about That's it. So cool. Whenever we needed voiceover, whenever we needed, him to do stuff. He's like, yeah, of course, of course, you know. So he's just, he's, he's, uh, not a whole lot left like him, but really just, uh, one of the, one of the greats. All right. There's one more thing that I need to talk to you about. It's about my son, Robert Todd. Your son. He has been begging me to enlist. And now that the war is nearly over, I feel like this is the perfect time to just get him in there. Once all the regular fighters have yes, given yes. their lives and bled and lost their legs, now you want to sneak in your little Harvard boy for a couple days in the course. Yes. No, you understand. Absolutely. Gotcha, gotcha. He's okay. a good boy. You know, I want you to look after him. Mr. President, I want you to know 
I won't let the boy out of my sight. Oh, good, good, good. Robert Todd! Oh, Jesus, God! Good Lord! I have legs for arms. That was a gift from my wife. Oh, God damn it. It's interesting talking about, you know, updating his style for today. And I think one of the things that comes up, you know, I feel like I hear this every couple of years is um, around, usually it's around Blazing Saddles somehow. So people are like, you could never make Blazing Saddles today. Um, you know, people would never accept that or it would be too offensive for people or you'd never get away with that. Do you do you buy that? Do you? How do you think about sort of the, the way that his work has aged or whether it's still okay to do the types of humor that, that he really became known for um, in the beginning. It, it better be okay. <laughs> we got a whole, whole uh, TV series coming out. <laughs> I mean, look, I think that, um, I think that there's absolutely some words and like some joke constructs that wouldn't play in 2023. Um, I don't think this is a new phenomenon. I think there were comedians and writers in 1975 who were like, you can't say what you said in 1955 anymore. You know mm, what I mean? You can't yeah. say, so I think this is a thing that's always happened. Um, but I, I think like, I don't know. I think like, you know, uh, thematically we are still doing what he, what he did, which like I said, was going after the stupid hypocrites that seem to always rise to power in the world. Um, and and I, I don't know. I mean, totally, you know, we really have a lot of sketches about diarrhea and vomit and penises and dildos and buttholes and tits and jizz. And like, we like, there's a couple sketches in there that are absolutely disgusting. I am someone who believes that, you know, yeah, there's, there's modular things that change with the times, which has always happened. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the type of humor that Mel set off in the seventies continued through to the eighties with trading places and vacation and coming to America. Those are all, they, those would have never been made without blazing saddles being made. And then in the nineties with the Farrelly brothers, and then in the two thousands with Seth Rogen and, and Judd Apatow and Adam McKay and, and, uh, all, uh, uh, Will Ferrell. And it continues to, 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 to move that way. So I think aside from like words, you know what I mean? Like some words and, uh, you know, maybe like a couple moments, like it's, it's still the same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's still, it's still like being stupid and, um, uh, gross and, and hopefully funny. And also hopefully a little smart too. You know what I mean? That whole, that whole thing of, of, you know, it, of striking the right balance. But I, and whenever I see someone being like, you could never make lazy saddles, uh, these days, it's like, well, yeah, you can't, you can't make a lot of things that you made a long time ago. Now it's a different time. You know what I mean? It's like a different, it's just like you couldn't have made birth of a nation in 1950 you know what i mean yeah. like it just there were people in 1950 being like they don't make them anymore birth of a nation now that was a movie you couldn't make <laughs> it you couldn't make it these days unless you were canceled. you want to get canceled and so it's it is it is to me one of those things of uh 
funny is funny at the end of the day. I'm sure there will people, there will be people who will watch this and will be offended. I'm sure there will be people that watch this and say, this is, uh, they didn't say any of those horrible words that I was hoping they would say. This <laughs> is, you know, this is woke. Comedy. Too woke. And, yeah. Yeah. And if you watch our show and your takeaway is it's woke, I like don't know what to tell you. I, I then you think <laughs> everything is woke. You then literally everything to you is woke. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's always been about finding the right targets or, you know, you're talking about how he would always, Mel Brooks would always be making fun of the people in power, um, you know, literal Nazis and the producers, um, I think is is sort of the, the main one, the original one. Um, I think he, you know, was always sort of this very prominent uh, Jewish comedic figure um, in the culture and sort of played a big role in in fighting back against anti-Semitism in his, in that movie and the producers especially, but really just in throughout his entire career. I'm wondering if you think about that at all now with sort of a, there's been somewhat of a more rise of, of anti-Semitism in, in recent years. Do you think about using comedy to fight back against that? Yeah, I mean, yes. You know, within the within the context of the show, like, there was, there is quite a bit of Jewishness running through the show between me and Nick Kroll. I mean, his whole character's name is Schmuck Mudman. Um, and to your point at large, yes, I think it is very good to um, try and use humor to kind of make fun of anti-Semites because they're almost to a person just very fucking stupid. Um, it gets a little exhausting, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like I can make fun of Kanye West and say that he's a fucking loser and his music has sucked for years and Donda sucked shit and it was <laughs> terrible. And, and he's, you know, his brain is completely fried and he's been worm tongued by Candace Owens, which is like the most embarrassing thing in the world. And try to like, just go off and make fun of how stupid and what a loser he is. But after a while, you just get, you get tired. You know I mean? It's like, uh, uh, Oh, God damn it. We're still doing this shit 46 years into my fucking life. But, but to your point, yes, I, I, I think, uh, it is good to try to, uh, use humor to, to knock down some of these, what seem to be institutions now of, of racism and bigotry. And, uh, you know, it is, you know, whether you're on TikTok and you're watching like a racist guy get like knocked out at like a Eagles game, you know, uh, like it just gives you like a nice bit of a little dopamine rush and makes you laugh a bit. Um, and I think in the show we did try to do that. I think we still, you know, made, you know, like we have a Hitler on ice moment and I, you know, having Nick Kroll's kind of announcer character be like, I hope Mussolini falls and breaks both of his fucking legs, fucking little piece of shit. Like that was very funny to me and and was uh, you know, I think an example of what you're talking about. Yeah, I think, you know, it's what it's what made me so disappointed, I think, in that Chappelle SNL monologue, which I've talked a lot about on this show now, and it and because um, it did feel like he was kind of giving it a pass rather than, you know, taking it down, which is what I I would hope. Um did you uh, did you happen to check that out? And did you what was your take on it? I, I I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch it. I'll tell you why. Because everyone was talking about it, and I just literally was like, I don't give a fuck. Like I yeah. literally like it was. You just, don't want to see it. I, I didn't. I, I just didn't even want to like 
weigh in. Like, I think Chappelle's a, like maybe one of the best comedians in the world, if not the best comedian. Um, I, 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 I'm tired, Matt. I <laughs> just like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? That everyone's talking about, cause I had friends who said, dude, Jewish friends who said, yeah, I thought it was kind of funny and annoying a little bit, but you know, what are you going to do? And then I had Jewish friends who were apoplectic about it. And I'm just like, I'm trying to, at this point, like not, um, uh, force outrage onto myself. Cause I probably would watch it, be annoyed, I guess. I don't know. But I, I try now to, uh, uh, not focus on like, if there is something of the moment of just not even, not even weighing in, not even getting involved and just seeing what happens. And sometimes you have to, uh, you know, if it's someone you know, or if it's work, if it affects you or something, sometimes I get wanting to comment on the culture. I, I get it all, but I was just, I'm also like, I'm going to, do myself a favor and just not even remove, like remove myself from ever having to give a fuck about this. You know what I mean? And I mean that with respect to people who do, because, you know, people should, people should care about things, but I also do find that it's nice to reward yourself a little bit sometimes and not necessarily have to even have an opinion on it. Yeah. You only have so much bandwidth for stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, 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 um, a lot of times I think people want to get really mad at, or, or people want to defend bad behavior um, just because it's how they feel in that moment. And they're doing it against people they don't necessarily know. Um, and I just, you know, listen, I thought being online was already kind of bad on Twitter was already kind of bad. It's, it's like beyond, it's like so laughable what Elon Musk has done to that site is just absolutely cooked to the gills. It's just done. There's like nothing left. Yeah. Are you done with it? Are you still, uh, are you still engaging? I I only am literally now like Mel Brooks tweeted about the show. I will retweet it, but I've also had people be like, don't post on there. The OPSEC's no good. You're going to get my friend. Bobby Lee has been hacked for like four (laughs) months. Like every 20 minutes, his Twitter sends, sends out a DM. That's like, Got 10 laptops left. DM me for, uh, yes. And I'm just like, so, and and also too, I I do feel like, um, I don't know. I just feel like we've really given a huge chunk of our lives, uh, to these companies. And now that they are clearly dog shit, I think it's time we took some of that time back. (laughs) And, and, you know, maybe there will be another website one day that is fun and is not trying to make money off of you and, and, you know, never say never. But for me right now, I try to do my best to uh, to limit myself online to like videos of pigs slash dogs on TikTok, um, videos of people making like insane looking sandwiches, um, and then like 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 NBA clips of like NBA fans getting like ejected from the stadium. Like, I don't know why. Yeah, that's, that's all you need, those three things right there. That's really it. That's really all I, I need right now. So uh, that's 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 where I'm at. All that. Well, speaking of Bobby Lee, um, I feel like that's a good segue to the uh, earlier part of your career. Um, this show is a is very much a um, sketch show. Uh, and that's really how you how you started out, right? I'm um, doing sketch in Second City, uh, Boom Chicago and Amsterdam, um, and then ultimately uh, Mad TV. So can you talk about those early days a little bit and, and how you how you started doing sketch comedy? 
Yes, yes. I, you know, uh, mom and dad were very much comedy fans. Like I remember some of my earliest memories were watching like Eddie Murphy on SNL. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, just from a young age, you know, in my brain, that was just a fun thing to watch. And I remember like loving in living color. Um, I remember being in college and randomly turning, being in someone's room and they had HBO, they had HBO in college and in the nineties. And I remember the first night it aired, I didn't even know what it was, but a show called Mr. Show. And I was like, Oh my God, it's, I was just like blown away by it. So I've always had an affinity for it. And, and, and then it was really, you know, once I started doing improv in Chicago, once I was like, okay, I'm not going to college, college didn't work out. I want to act. I want to write. I want to, you know, do showbiz things. Let's take an improv class. And I think once you start taking classes in Chicago, uh, this is again, back in the day, I think your kind of main goal becomes second city, right? Which is a sketch comedy theater. And you just are kind of like, that's, that's it. That's what I want. Then maybe more than you know, half of a half of a half of a percent chance you get hired to be on Saturday Night Live and do sketch comedy. So I think for a long time, that was just kind of my singular career goal. Then I went and I went to this theater called Boom Chicago in, in Amsterdam, which was a, a, uh, a sketch comedy, American sketch comedy theater in Amsterdam. So I was just doing it for so long. And then I moved to LA and after a year and a half of working in the food service industry, uh, a, my buddy Josh Myers, brother of Seth, we were like, let's write our own sketch show. And Nicole Sullivan, who was on Mad TV, came and saw it. And she was like, hey, Will Sasso and Alex Borstein are leaving Mad TV. And you guys, I'm going to bring the producers to see you guys. And she, God bless her, did. She did. And, uh, um, you know, we, they hired us. And it was, it was like a dream. I was like 20, oh God, 24. You know what I mean? 25, maybe. I don't know, young. And then, you know, getting to kind of, do what I always wanted to do, which is do, you know, kind of dumb sketch comedy. So, yeah. And then I, I had kind of, you know, did five years and then I had this kind of long period now where I've, you know, working and, and more kind of regular narrative stuff, movies. And for a long time, I was always like, I think someone asked me, like, would you want to do sketch comedy again? And I think I remember, I was like, nah, I kind of like this. This is a few years ago. I kind of, you know, I need to write. Yeah, you're, you're a movie and, star now. You don't need to do sketch comedy. Right, right. right. I mean, you're using the term star very loosely, but I think <laughs> it, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, and then, and then I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was COVID or the world changing so much or what, or, or just the fact that it was Mel. But, um, when we first talked to Nick, I was like, oh yeah, I have zero trepidation about going back and then as i start then as i started writing it i was like oh i fucking love this yeah did you I feel like this. did you feel like it was very different um now versus when you were sort of the beginning of mad tv thrown into this strange world and forced to write sketches for for the show as a, as a younger man i mean it was so different you know what I mean? Like Mad TV was very kind of character based, um, impression. Right. Based. A lot of impressions. A lot of impressions. A lot of impressions. Uh, I still do a lot of my impressions for birthday parties. I'll break yeah, out. Just around you know, the house. Kevin, yeah. Kevin Federer. I'll say to my daughters, 
hey, I'll answer their, you know, I'll say I, I made you dinner as Kevin Federline, and they're like, who is that? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, that's mm-hmm. Britney Spears' husband, and I'm like, who is Britney Spears? So I explained this to them. Um, uh, but this was um, this was a little this was so different in the sense that it was it was um, you kind of got to just have this big blank canvas of history and think of something that interests me historically. And then just find a, like a stupid fun game for it. And that the writing of this show was just like, it was, I, it was the most fun I'd had writing in a long time. Uh, first of all, we had an incredible staff, just like an amazing group of like great writers and actors and standups and sketch writers and people who came for three months and people who came for two days. And, uh, so it was just so, so, so much fun. And, there really is a um, a great feeling of when you're writing a sketch and you're like, oh, man, we, the sketch is like already three pages. Um, what do we do? How do we? Oh, right. We can just end it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you're writing a show sometimes, yeah. you're a movie, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot harder yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for this, you always can kind of be like, oh, then they just do a little song and dance and we run off. You know what I mean? So that was... It was very freeing to me to go back and kind of uh, uh, write this. And I think because we had this big container of, of not just Mel, but historical the historical nature of the show, it, it was just like so much fun and so freeing. Coming up, Ike looks back on his early days as a cast member on Mad TV and why he's always rejected the inevitable comparisons to SNL. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episodes with Ike's collaborator Nick Kroll and some of the many incredible guest stars who appear in History of the World Part 2, including Pamela Adlon, Jillian Bell, Darcy Carden, Ronnie Chang, Jake Johnson, Richard Kind, Jason Manzukis, Sam Richardson, Sarah Silverman, J.B. Smoove, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Ike Barinholtz. When you were at Mad TV, 
it was sort of that was the an era of of competition in some ways between Mad TV and SNL because I know SNL there was a time when it was like getting a little less popular and, and Mad TV was a little more popular. How did you think about the relationship between the two shows? Were you always kind of wishing that you were on SNL or did you not think about it like that? Or, or how did you think about the, the, the dynamic there? I always tried my best to persuade the producers to lose any comparison to SNL. I, I got in trouble for saying we need to be on Friday night, but always bummed me that it was on at the more or less the same time. Like I found that I think maybe at- there was no YouTube. So you had to really had to choose. No YouTube, no TiVo, no YouTube. To me, I think maybe when Mad TV started, there might have been an antagonistic nature to it, a little bit of like, we're going to take down SNL, which is very dumb to me. Like, SNL is literally an American institution. Like, it's probably the most important comedy show ever. And to try to be like, oh, they're having a a change of cast members. Here we come. We're going to take their smoke. It's like, I kept saying, like, don't, I always said to us, it's like, unless someone who is legitimately awesome wants to come and be a guest on our show, we should not have guests. I was like, we're, and, and I remember I was on Mad TV at, at a time where I personally think it was the best era ever of us. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like uh, the yeah Jordan that, Peele and Keegan Michael Key were there when you were there, right? Well, yeah, but I'm talking about SNL. Oh, when SNL was I, I, SNL, SNL was the best it's ever been. Yeah, Will Ferrell. I was on Magic. Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler, Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, yeah, yeah. Tina Fey, Fred Armisen. It's like it was Maya Rudolph. It's just like insane, and they were doing incredible stuff. Like I would watch it. It was just so funny, and with the fact that we had on guests, I always felt like would sell us a little bit short, you know? It's yeah, because they, maybe they wouldn't be quite as famous as the hosts of SNL or they wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, God bless, but we get like the fourth lead off of Prison Break. I don't know who that is. <laughs> and, and, and that wasn't a real guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, so we had, meanwhile, SNL has like, you know, uh, Robert Tom De Niro Hanks, yeah. and, and Tom Hanks and musical guest uh, Paul McCartney. And yeah. you're just like, oh, don't play yeah. that game. So, but, but, but with that said, uh, I, you know, we were all very good friends. You know, a lot of SNL people and Mad TV people came from the Groundlings, so a lot of them were friends. There's a lot of crossover between folks that had written at SNL or maybe acted in SNL, and or Mad TV, vice versa. And and I, you know, it was uh, so to me, it was always just like, can't they just be the big famous show and we're just another different super funny sketch show? Right. Yeah, uh, that's always how I hope to see it. I they they didn't really listen to me in the end, um, but I'm still proud of what we you know did on Mad TV most of it. Um, you know it was it was fun. It was very dumb. It was a, the dumbest time in American history. Maybe 2000 to 2010 it was a very stupid time. So I think we definitely matched the stupidity of that moment uh, the best we could. What was the decision like to leave after the five seasons? How did you decide that was something you you were ready to stop doing? Uh, oh, they very gracious and they made that hard decision for me oh okay <laughs> uh i was i remember it's so funny i remember being like with my wife we went on like a little two-day vacation or something i remember like saying to her like that morning i was like so i'm gonna really like be aggressive and be like i i want to you know whatever five percent raise and yeah, you yeah, know yeah. yada yada and then like two hours later my manager was like they are moving on and i was like <laughs> what what do you mean are you telling me their offer was zero um 
I think it was. I think they only did another year after I left. Mm-hmm. I think the show was just it kind was of last legs towards the end. And you know, uh, it's to this day though. I still am, you know, friends with a lot of the folks I was there. I was just texting with uh, Nicole Parker and Jordan Peele yesterday because it's all of our birthdays around the same time. And and uh, you know, uh, whenever someone stops me in the street. Uh, and tells me they enjoy Mad TV. It always tickles me, except for when it's like, like they're there, like a, like like a man in his clearly mid thirties. Walked up to me, like, "Yo, man, I used to love watching you when I was a little kid." And I was like, "Bro, bro, bro, <laughs> you were, we're like not that. Like, what? How old do you think I am, sir?" <laughs> no, I always have love for that show. What was the first big thing that you booked after that? What was the sort of uh, the moment that you you said, "Oh, maybe I'm going to be okay after after leaving Mad TV." That would that would be four years later <laughs> when I booked Eastbound and Down. Uh, but there was a very rough three and a half years or so where I just couldn't get arrested. I couldn't I couldn't get hired. I was auditioning a lot. I was trying to do you know TV shows. I wanted to be in a pilot. And I would, I just wasn't getting any kind of consistent work. And so I really doubled down in writing. And my partner, Dave Stassen, EP of uh, Through the World Part Two, uh, just started writing full time. We sold a movie, we sold Central Intelligence, uh, which was like a movie we actually ended up getting made years later. Um, but it wasn't until, as an actor, it really wasn't until I just kind of randomly had this audition with Danny McBride to play uh, Ivan. And that was the first time that it was a show that I was obsessed with. Yeah, that's that a really hired. big deal to get on that show. I think it was season oh three, right? It was sort of the height of it. Season it. three. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so, so he was the guy. He was the guy that, that really, I remember he you know, hired me and we shot it and we had the premiere party. And I remember having people that I thought were like Will Forte come in and be like, you're really great. You know what I mean? It was so, yeah. it was the that's first amazing. time that yeah. I felt like, People, uh, they liked me. They actually liked me. <laughs> what do you remember about that very first scene that you shot uh, with Danny McBride for uh, for Eastbound? I mean, I remember in the audition just improvising and him improvising, going off script, and just him shaking his head, laughing. And, and uh, first scene I remember, uh, 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 the first scene was my pitching uh, scene. And I remember the day before, I worked with my pitching coach, and I try to make it look like that I could feasibly be a pitcher. I threw, I threw a 110 pitches. So to shoot the next day, my arm had the consistency of like, like grape jam. And, uh, I was trying to not look like I was in pain. I was acting with, uh, Danny and uh, Matthew McConaughey was also in that scene. So I was trying to act like a normal man whose arm was on fire. Ivan Dachinko. Kenny Powers. Hello, I've never heard of you before. I grew up watching you as a boy. Don't try to date me, brother. I ain't that old. I'm dying to know, how much better is America than the Russian place? By Russian place, do you mean Russia the nation? Yeah. America is good, you know? It's like it's like Russia in many ways, I feel <laughs> like. You should come and visit sometime. Why would I want to go to Russia? There obviously have been enemies of America for the longest time. Why Not would I go for many years. That's all over now. That ended back in the 80s almost. So you think? Well, the people in charge don't think that. You think there's still conflict between... Do I think? I know. Whatever. Tomato, tomato. Which one? 
<laughs> but Mindy Project happened right around that same time, right? Yes. Mindy actually had t- tweeted that um, uh, uh, oh, this Russian guy on uh, Eastbound Down is, is funny. Is he Russian or something like that? And oh, You convinced and, uh, her. I know. A lot of people still to this day are like, you're not Russian. And you were like, you I'm didn't like, no. watch Mad TV, did you? You didn't watch Mad TV, unless you think I'm like, like, gonna have an amazing, like, I'm a deep <laughs> yeah. cover agent or something. Um, but uh, uh, around that time, you know, I still wanted to act, and my partner Dave wanted to write and wanted to write in a writer's room. There was great TV shows going on at that time. He's like, can we just get in one of these rooms? And I was worried that that would, once you're in a writer's room, more or less, you're not. You can't be like, guys, I'm going to leave this B story for a couple hours at an audition in Santa Monica. And so I think um, I was worried about having to eschew that. And, and right around that time, Mindy, the Mindy Project had, pilot had been shot. And our. Because you're not agent, in the pilot. Not in the pilot. That's why it's what I always, I've always said it's my least favorite episode of that show. Yeah. It's, uh, it's probably it just, the worst one, right? There's something missing. I don't quite know what it is, and it's, I've always held firm to that. Um, but uh, uh, our, our agent at the time was like, Mindy is doing a, a show, and we watched it, and I was a huge, huge fan of hers. She was one of the uh, – like, I always wanted to be, like, a writer and an actor, and, like, there wasn't really a frame of reference for that, like, except for, like, <laughs> like Woody Allen. You know what I mean? And I, it was like around 2006-ish or so that I really started like, wow, Mindy Kaling, BJ Novak, Seth Rogen. These are people who are writers, they write, and they also get to be in front of the camera. And so I was just a very big fan of hers. I love the pilot. We met her. We thought she was just like one of the funniest people we'd ever met. And uh, we had a really great with her uh, on that show. It was really just uh, the you know, first few seasons were were hard because we were still like we were like at the very end of like where like ratings really mattered for like right, on network yeah. TV. We're like it was not a streaming if, show at the beginning, at least. No, and streaming had just, like I think maybe Orange Is a New Black had just maybe come out, maybe. But, uh, uh, so those first couple of years were a little stressful, or just worrying if we were going to get canceled. But then, um, we had such a great time on that show. And that's another show that people, like, uh, they really, re- it resonates with people. Like, a lot of people come up to me and tell me, you know, I sound like Trump when I say that. People yeah. come up to me and they yeah. tell me, this show is so great. They're crying. They're crying. And they're like, this show is fantastic. Um, so, uh, but yeah, she, she is just, uh, one of the funniest people in the world. And, uh, I can't wait to work with her. Dr. L, if those burglars try to break in again, they're toast. I have a plan. I'm going to get that doorknob piping hot, so if they touch it, burns their hand. They kick the door open, boom, paint can right in the head. Kaput. Did you learn this from Home Alone? I didn't just watch Home Alone. I also watched some grown-up films. Like grown-ups? I watched Home Alone and Grown-Ups. You know what? If you're going to stay here for a very short amount of time, we have to have some ground rules. Yes, we are roomies with benefits. What? Absolutely not. What about friendship? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Go to bed. So just don't touch anything. I'm not even here. You're the best. You know what? Not a lot of guys would do this. No one is going to cut you up into little pieces tonight. What? I'm going to keep you safe. Go. Don't think about it. Hey, you like Eggs Benedict? I do. So do I. Good night. Goodbye.
on the movie star front, uh, there was obviously Neighbors was, I think, the first big one uh, breakout movie moment for you. Um, I have to tell you, it's one of my all-time favorites. I think it's just up there as one of the funniest uh-huh. uh, comedies of the last you know, 20 years or something. Oh, my um, God. Thank you. And was that something that you just uh, auditioned for or were you, were you uh, how, did, how did that one happen? Um, you know, I had known Seth Rogen a little bit, like he had done Eastbound and Down the same season I was there. So I'd met him and hung out with him. And then he came on the Mindy Project and season one and did a little guest star. And I just had a fun time hanging out with him. And uh, so then he brought me in to audition for Neighbors. And I went and I read with him and Evan Goldberg and Nick Stoller. And uh, I remember it, the audition going very well. I remember Evan Goldberg saying, you should leave now. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, leave. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, leave I, I, read two of them. I was like riffing and improvising and then, and, 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 just leave, just, just go. Uh, so yeah. So we, 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 that was definitely the first substantial part in a real movie I had had. And it was, you know, still when comedy, they were still making big comedies and people were loving, which I think is just fucking so stupid that we're not doing that anymore. I just, I'm sorry. Like laughing at a movie theater is, every bit as fun as being scared in a movie theater or like being like, Oh wow, look at that spaceship. Like, like the, the best times I've had in my life at a movie theater were like seeing like Borat yeah, and like, that's the one, King right? King I mean, yeah. and Jackass too. Like, just like, 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 like a collective experience when you're surrounded by people and you're all laughing and like a stranger is like, like, kind of like nudging you because they're laughing so hard. It's like, what is better than that shit? It's the best. Ah! Bring it back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and blockers was another one. I feel like that was maybe one of the last big ones uh, that, that was really great as well. Um, and that was sort of, that was a even you'd bigger role in that one. A, a co-lead with, um, with, with Leslie Mann and John Cena, right? What do they say? Okay. So there's something about an eggplant hand. Handshake. Eggplant agreement. Yeah, they got an agreement to make eggplant parmesan. No, eggplants are dicks in teenage emoji language. What? You know what? That's true. Julie told me that, that the emojis have, uh, they all have secret meanings. Mm-hmm. So, like, trees are weed and snowflakes are cocaine. And that thing is Yas Queen. Yas Queen! What the hell's like, that? You've never heard of Yas Queen? No. Huh. All right, Grandpa. Hold on. Julie is making some kind of a dick related agreement here. Kayla is in on the agreement. No fucking way. Okay, clown face, what the fuck does that mean? That means she's down to clown. Okay. Three eggplants? And look at the drool coming out of that smiley face. You wish that was drool. That's cum, my man. Stand down. It is. Look, it's cum. He's like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah, that was, I, I, hope it, I hope there is a return to it. I hope that there is, people need to go and see, like, a bridesmaid. You know what I mean? So I do hope it, there there is a return to it. Um, but Blockers was, yeah, uh, you know, again, it was Seth and Evan and, and the, those guys who kind of produced it and said, hey, you know, would you do this? And uh, then they brought aboard uh, Kay Cannon. Um, and I have known Kay Cannon. We were at Boom Chicago together. I've known her forever. She's like a little sister or I'm her little brother or whatever. And, we, uh, yeah, we, I remember going down to Georgia for, you know, whatever, two months and shooting all nights, you know, cause so much of it is night exterior. So you're shooting all night. Um, and I remember laughing a lot while we were making it, but you just never know. You never know. I, I, so many times movies just don't work out. And 
I remember seeing it and just being so uh, blown away by how well I thought Kay had really uh, 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 just executed it. I thought she had given it so much heart and I, it's a movie that, you know, uh, you know, some of my friends who are parents say that have a little bit older kids, they say that that is a movie that really has a lot of heart when it comes to parenting. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, I love that movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like keep... I, I've, I, as a, I have a young kid and I feel like neighbors as I really connected with that one. So I'm looking forward to, you know, really relating to blockers again. Uh, then I just got to make another movie that like, it's about another milestone, you yeah, know, I got to do a movie about like a dad, yeah. a dad's kid getting married. Should I remake father of the bride? Okay, I, I got, here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. Ready? <laughs> Father of the bride, but one of the families is Sephardic Jewish and the other one is Ashkenazi Jewish. Oh, Can you, you imagine <laughs> the insanity that would Fireworks. ensue? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Kanye West called it the feel bad movie of 2026. <laughs> I just saw that right now. It came over the wire. That's a, I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, before we get to our, our final segment, um, I just wanted to ask about this uh, this HBO show you have coming up, uh, White House Plumbers. Is that right? Oh, yes. yes. You forgot White for House a minute. Plumbers. I, 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 I was like, what did I do? What did I do? Uh, uh, but no, White House Plumbers coming out, I, I believe, this uh, this spring, I believe. Um, I'm at Watergate nerd. Like I, Yeah, another history project. Another history thing, and uh, when they called, they were like, they want you to play Jeb Magruder. I was like, I know who that is! I know who that is! Uh, but uh, it was it was so, so fun. Uh, I, I, you know, this business is pretty, can be pretty great because it does occasionally allow you to work with someone who you are a big fan of. And I have been a fan of Woody Harrelson's since he first walked into Cheers, and actually before that, I was a fan of his in the film Wildcats. Hello, <laughs> um, and so over the last few years, we had done a couple of these All in the Family live in front of the studio audience shows, and I got to spend time with him. And just what a guy! So funny, so just fucking nuts. And so to get to spend you know the summer with him and Justin Thoreau, who is just he's one of those guys who's very frustrating because he's incredibly good looking and he's funnier than you and me. And it's just like, it's just, I, I don't love that. I'll be honest. I like my hot guys a little less funny. Yeah. And I like my funny guys a little uglier. Yeah. I think everybody does really. Yeah, and he really is just hysterical and uh, a lovely guy. And again, another insane cast. You'd show up every day and just amazing actors everywhere. So uh, that's coming out this spring. Yeah, and, I'm looking and, forward to that uh, one. Can't wait. Great writers, uh, Pete Hike and Alex Gregory, who did uh, Veep, uh, Dave Mandel, who was on Veep too. Uh, yeah, so there's, really, there's some really comedy to it. It's like a, it's kind of a, it, it has an interesting tone, right? Well, the thing is, is that. Yes, if you really peel back the onion, you know, or I'm sorry, on the surface, if you look at the onion from far away, you're like, this is really fucked up, man. They were really trying to subvert the Constitution and take it over. But then when you peel the onion, you're like, oh, these guys were fucking morons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they were like the weirdest mix of like, of like, 
old CIA spooks and crackpots and then just kind of run-of-the-mill crooks and, you know, country club dickheads and just a very <laughs> funny group of, of, uh, of assholes working for the thirstiest, cringiest president we've ever had, more so than Trump, I would even say. So uh, I think you really get uh, you'll, you'll get a lot of the drama and the kind of all the president's men of it, but I think you'll also laugh. Yeah, that's great. Um, so now it's our segment, The First Laugh. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a, a series of questions, starting with the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid. Um, when you think back, what's something that, that really just made you laugh early on? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to say uh, probably uh, Eddie Murphy is Gumby, if that makes sense to you. Uh, but I, re I remember being very young and seeing Eddie Murphy in a Gumby outfit smoking a cigar. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was probably four or five and just remember laughing very, very hard at that. Do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? I don't remember the first time. Um, I, I have, you know, memories of like, walking into like a cocktail party full of adults and like walking around the room and like not roasting everyone, but you know, acting like a comedian a little bit. Um, um, I, I, uh, uh, I remember, um, giving a speech in high school, um, like a, like a funny speech. <laughs> I don't even remember the kind, maybe it was like a, one of the graduation speeches. I think they had like a serious speech and they had like a smart kid do that. And they had like a comedy speech and I did it. And I remember getting a big reaction. I was like, oh, this feels pretty good to get laughs, uh, have people laugh at you. Uh, so I couldn't pinpoint one moment, but it's, it's lots of little moments kind of throughout the years. Uh, one early credit on your IMDb, which I did not know about, which I, I had to ask, is you voiced Dane Cook on Family Guy. I know you played him on <laughs> Mad TV as well, but you, uh, I didn't realize I you, you I had forgotten about that too. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't know if you know this. I played the, I voiced Dane Cook on Family. I hope that I get uh, residuals off of I'm sure uh, I do. I thank them for that. But uh, yeah, I, I like to introduce myself as a Family Guy cast member. Now back to the MTV Movie Awards hosted by Dane Cook. Hey everybody, what's up? Dane Cook here in the house at the MTV Movie Awards. What's up? What's up? Hey, you know what I hate? When you eat an ice cream cone and it's all like cold and you're like, ah, ah, ah. and you're like, why didn't you warn me that's so cold? And he's like, it's ice cream, dude. And you're like, oh man, but chicks don't do that because they use a spoon. Ah, what's up? Sufi, boo, MySpace. Did you ever hear from Dane Cook about your impression either from uh, Mad TV or, or Family Guy? him once a year though and hoping that he wasn't gonna like he was playing guitar mm -hmm. and i was like is he gonna like like bash that guitar over my head or something <laughs> yeah. and he did he just kind of looked at me and just went back to playing guitar so. yeah it's not the it's not the most generous impression but uh that's very funny yeah if i were him i would probably hit me in the head with a guitar so <laughs> i guess i should thank him for having some for not doing that yeah yeah um, do you have a uh, an audition story that stands out in your memory, either from those first few years after Mad TV or, or at any point in your career um, that either went really poorly or went really well or, or just something oh, from man. an audition that, that stands out? 
I have so many, you know, I, I, God, I remember, uh, like when I wasn't getting cast in comedies, like I wasn't getting cast in pilots and sitcoms really. And I was like, all right, I don't have to do, I can do like other shit. I can do like drama. Like, and I went in for like, it was yeah, one of the media side Miami. And I remember going in and playing like a, they were like a Quentin Tarantino style director who is getting murdered by one of his actors. And uh, I <laughs> seems like a great like, role for you. Oh my God. I remember doing it and like, like almost just doing like an impression of Tarantino. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, look, we have to do today. We have to like make sure the lights are there. Ah, why'd you do that? Why are you stabbing me? And then like, I remember I did it and they were like, they're like, let's go again. And like, really like, kind of like, we want to really see you die and beg for your life more. And I was like, oh, maybe I don't have to be an actor. Anymore. Maybe I could just go work the plow somewhere and just mill grain or something. Uh, but and look, man, that's the reality is when you're an actor, you have to just eschew some dignity and just be like, look, I'm going to go and audition and beg for my life and I'm not going to get the part. Um, and, and the worst was always that when I would audition for something, I would tell my parents, I'd be like, I have an audition for whatever next week. And then, like three weeks later, my one of my parents, my dad, usually be like, "Hey, how did that? You know, did you hear back?" And I go, yeah, did, did, I, "Did I call you to tell you I got the part? No, no. You'll know if I get the part because I'll call." <laughs> I feel like I, I would definitely have stopped telling them about auditions after that. Yeah, I think at a certain point I did, but uh, uh, but yeah, it's that that comes from the territory. You can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Do you have a story or memory about the first time you met one of your comedy heroes, uh, just someone who you really looked up to in the comedy world and, and what it was like to meet them for the first time? Um, I remember um, the first time I met Will Ferrell. Um, I was at a um, gym in LA and I saw him talking to his trainer and his trainer was like, I get down and get crunches. Will went no, <laughs> and then I just got. I remember him turning and seeing me and being like, "Hey, man!" And uh, that was very cool. I remember just, "Oh my god, that's Will Ferrell!" Like Will Ferrell's maybe the that's you know, hilarious, funniest. Oh, uh, uh, Chris Farley, Chris Farley. I met Chris Farley. I got to hang out with Chris Farley once. I remember, yeah, I remember back when I was working in Second City. I I I went to the back theater to get like ice, and I smelled weed. And I walked in, and the other theater was dark that night. And walked inside, and wearing a nice suit and smoking a joint, probably this big, was Chris Farley. And I was just like, I couldn't. But I I talked to him, and he was so nice, and smoked a little joint with him. It was just like so, so. That's amazing. So I, I've been so lucky to meet folks that I've uh, idolized and admired and watched for years, and and almost to a person, they're all and wonderful and I don't have to uh, worry about uh, uh, their legacy in my mind being tarnished because everyone's <laughs> just so lovely. And finally, do you have a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now but really was not funny when it happened? I remember when we were shooting the after party and we were doing like uh, Ben Schwartz's um, dance number or song. Mm, yeah, I was in a it. musical parody. Yeah. His musical number. And I remember um, like right and the first take, like I had to like jump onto the stage and I was wearing like cowboy boots and I just slid a little bit and like 
crashed like the middle of my shin into the stage. And it hurt. It felt like someone hit me in the leg with a fucking ball point hammer. And ball thing hammer. And um, the choreographer, it was a nice lady, uh, everyone was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. You know, I'm trying to play it off. It doesn't hurt so bad. And like they brought over ice and it, was, like, it instantly like blood, you know, those like bloody bruises. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, is this a bruise? What is <laughs> yeah. this? What, what's going on? What here? are we dealing with here? Yeah. What, what are we dealing with here? And, um, I, uh, remember we got up there for the second take and the choreographer, she goes, all right, let's try to get an Ike. <laughs> try not to fall this time. And like everyone laughed and I was like so mad because my leg, my leg hurts so bad. And I was like, how the fuck did you just make fun of me? <laughs> and and looking back on it now, I, I'm still not like laughing about it as much as I will in like five years. But that's my that's my gun to my head answer. She's a lovely lady, and she was you know she got a big laugh out of it. I got a I know what I got out of it a big cry. Yeah, Aww. I went to my trailer and cried. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but uh, uh, you know, listen, my my career has been filled with mortifying uh, <laughs> moments and th- things that happen where I'm just like, Oh God damn it. And then most of time I've been very lucky where I'm able to laugh about it years later that's and, good. Or, that's or, good. or, or, or days later, or even usually moments later. I try not to take it too seriously. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was so much fun and congrats on the new show. It's, it's really great. I think you're right that, you know, if you're a, a fan of Mel Brooks, like I am, and, and you obviously are, then you will enjoy this, this show as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully we get to do it again sometime, but, um, I'll, uh, look forward to hearing you on our other daily beast podcast in the meantime, uh, as a regular, Matt, always, always a pleasure. I have to go because I'm, I'm getting on the daily beast tech, uh, Oh yeah. Uh, very, podcast. Yeah. you gotta do that. Very yeah. important. Uh, yeah. Uh, is there is there a uh, how about this a Daily Beast podcast about bread called the Daily Yeast? Ooh, the Daily uh, Yeast. You. My internet connection just became unstable once I made oh, that no. joke. I don't know if that's. Yeah. A, I think the joke uh, caused it. Yeah. It was it was so bad that the internet was like, mm, we got to do this it. Now. We yeah. We don't have, we don't have the bandwidth for this type of <laughs> bullshit. So great talking to you, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That guy, what a mensch, am I right? Thanks again to Ike Barinholtz for that very fun conversation. History of the World Part 2 is streaming now on Hulu, with two new episodes dropping every night this week. And look out for Ike in White House Plumbers as well, coming very soon on HBO. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.
This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.